Reduce, reuse, refashion. Hi, and welcome to yet another refashion podcast episode. I know it's been a while since last time, but I sincerely hope it's been worth the wait. For me, at least, this is one of the most interesting and exciting episodes. Why? Well, we have been talking about various aspects of the circular fashion landscape, from material selection to design phase, circular purchase and usage, and finally, garment take-back systems. However, what would it all be without a financing mechanism, which is an underlying condition for a successful, healthy and long-lasting business? For that reason, I invited an expert in sustainable investments, Douglas Lopez, Principal Portfolio Manager at Aristotle Credit Partners to introduce us to sustainable investments and in particular the importance of ESG ratings which help investors evaluate how sustainable the companies are and whether they should invest in them or not. I assure you, you do not need to be a financial expert to listen to our conversation. It's suited for everyone who is interested in spending their money wisely and making a change through supporting the right companies. Without further ado, let's listen to our talk. So Douglas, um, once again, thank you so much for finding time for me. And could you just briefly, in your own words, introduce yourself? Um, Well, hello, first. Um, Sure, Uh, my name is Doug Lopez. Um, I'm a senior partner, portfolio manager at a a firm called Aristotle Credit Partners. Um, We're based out in California, in the US. So. Uh, my role here is to uh, manage portfolios for clients um, in various uh, mandates. Uh, we focus on corporate credit um, investments. And um, one of the areas that we, um, several years ago, began more fully incorporating into our analysis was ESG um, as a way to make better investment decisions in the portfolio. So um, that's kind of my role. Um, and I guess the relevance to the call today is, is that incorporation. Absolutely. So for those who are not familiar with the, the topic, what is ESG investing? Yeah, so ESG, um, kind of breaking it down, environmental, social governance issues. Um, it's um, what it is, is taking uh, these factors into consideration and making investments um, on top of and in addition to traditional um, financial metrics that um, and most investors have been following for, for generations in terms of how they make investments. Um, so ESG is um, environmental issues, um, you know, such as you know, energy use, greenhouse gas emissions, you know, water consumption, hazardous uh, waste generation. Um, the social aspect of the, the S and is social. That really has to do more with um, analyzing and assessing the workplace environment, such as workforce accidents, turnover of employees, uh, workforce diversity, compensation you know, labor management relations, uh, human rights um, considerations. Um, and then the governance side um, of the G um, stands for governance. And that's really has to do with things such as um, diversity and uh, the size of the board, internal versus external board members. Um, and other types of governance um, considerations, executive compensation, reporting and disclosure, things like that. So these ESG metrics, um, a lot of those, you know, traditional financial investment, you would, you would 
take these into consideration perhaps in the process of you know traditional analysis um but you know what esg investing is is really a more, it was a greater focus a greater lens in this area and more disclosure um, and then using that to make better investment decisions talking about that disclosure um how easy is it to access that data is it publicly available so um it's becoming more publicly available um you know, right now it's a lot of it is through paid third-party uh, subscriptions, uh, but there's becoming more um, free publicly available information for investors such as ourselves. We rely on, you know, that paid subscription um, with different services along with what's um, also available publicly and then what we come up with ourselves. So, you know, it's a little hard to get. Um, that's probably one of the bigger frustrations within ESG investing these days is actual data disclosure by companies, um, you know, in Europe, it's more mandated that certain metrics are disclosed um, for ESG. Um, in the US, there really aren't mandates um, at the government level to have those disclosures, but that I would expect to see more of that going forward as um, it becomes more visible with government, the government here in the US and overseas, and obviously Europe's the leader there, Asia is also having more disclosures. Um, so yeah, over time, I would expect to see more disclosure and, and more publicly available and, and for everybody. I would hope so too as well. And I was uh, wondering if uh, you are rating the company on the individual basis or is it peer-to-peer uh, -peer analysis? Yes, both. Um, so we, we do our analysis on ESG very similar to what we do on traditional you know, financial analysis that we perform on companies. So we're looking at it on an absolute basis, but we're also comparing it to its peers. I think within ESG, that peer comparison um, is even more important because there's certain industries that because of the, you know, for lack of a better word, the neighborhood they reside in, you know, say the energy industry, you know, they're always going to look dirtier and have more problems than perhaps a company and, you know, in the technology industry where maybe they don't have enough, you know, they just don't, encounter as many environmental issues in their daily operating performance. So it's very important, you know, to compare them to the peers in the industry um, because we want to not exclude companies. Um, you know, we are PRI signatories that we've been there, uh, signatories for several years. And we really believe more in the aspect of ESG analysis to um, enhance the investment decision to incorporate, to make better decisions. It's not about excluding industries or excluding companies. It's about inclusion and then reinforcing to make um, them better, you know, better actors um, within you know, ESG metrics on the environment side, the social and the governance. So, so yeah, you know, that's kind of how we, you know, we, we look at it, but it's really the, the peer, I would, the peer analysis is obviously more important um, within ESG um, because of, you know, some of the issues that lie within certain industries that you just can't get away from as part of the regular performance. Yes, absolutely. And uh, is that also correct to say that different industries or different companies would have different um, importance areas? Exactly. That's a great point. So in different industries, um, one of the things we do is, is our research team will cover, very, you know, each analyst covers different industries, but it's very important for the analyst, the portfolio manager and, and, and overall investment community to understand you know, within different industries, there's different priorities and, and uh, key metrics you want to look at, you know, so say in technology, you're looking perhaps, you know, not so much the environmental is a, is a big issue and people are becoming more aware of the amount of uh, power used in um, you know, um, 
you know, uh, power generation required and, and where that power generation is coming from and perhaps data centers and, um, you know, the, the, the phenomena of the cryptocurrencies, um, things like that and technology. But, um, you know, but we were focusing maybe more there with those companies on the data security side um, in the financial industry. Data security is also extremely important. Whereas when you move over towards, you know, obviously energy, you're looking at environmental issues as kind of the bigger focus you know, within the textiles apparel area, you're looking at the supply chain and the labor issues, perhaps more so there and in manufacturing more on the, on the social kind of uh, working environment side. So there are different focuses in different industries, although you're looking at all the metrics across every industry, certain industries you want to focus more in one area or the other, because that's going to really be the key differentiator of, of, um, of who you want to invest in and has the best behaviors and continues to improve their behaviors in those areas. And policies. Absolutely. And you already briefly mentioned that there are uh, third party suppliers of such data, but whom would you say are the most reliable partners in terms of um, sharing such ESG data? Yeah. So, you know, and for the sake of not being an advertisement for one given company, um, <laughs> what I would do is I would try to put them into categories for you is, is that there are some very big providers out there. They're pretty well known. Um, but it's come really from two different directions, right? So there's been, there are some data providers out there that have, are just massive companies that provide financial data in all different aspects, whether it's ESG or just financial data, you know, whether it's, um, you know, shareholder votes, proxies, things like that. So there's companies that focus on that, that have made a push to get into the ESG side. Um, those are very good providers. And they're really, what their strength it really is, is actually on the distribution how they, how they manage the data, sort it so that you can actually get it in a usable way to sort through thousands of companies and do screens and analysis. And then there's the other direction that's come more from you know, organizations that had their, their, um, their birth within sustainability. You know, these organizations were initially talking about sustainability issues and policy issues and, and, and had agendas they were pushing, whether it was um, you know, emissions or or labor or things like that, um, that then got into the data side and started becoming, you know, um, data distributors. So we, um, we kind of prefer the, 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 the genesis of the companies coming more from the ESG side. We find you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit better qualitative analysis of that data with that background. Um, but, you know, both of them provide, you know, and there's a number of vendors out there and an increasing number of vendors in the third party area that, um, provide very good data. Um, and the differentiation is really more on, on the actual analysis of that data and what they kind of add on and layer on top of that. And that's, you know, what I think when you want to look at it, a data provider. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of similar to what, we, you know, the, the, you know, the, the history of financial analysis and financial metrics, you know, initially it was just get, can you get the data? And then it became, you know, what can you do with the data? What can you do on top of that to give us a better, read so that we can make better decisions in our portfolios. It's, it's kind of following the same path within ESG data. Okay, I understand. And I was thinking as well, there is a bit of a bias towards uh, ESG ratings from what I have heard that it is um, basically picking up the phone, calling a client and uh, filling out the survey, just ticking the boxes and then giving a rating on that. Uh, would you say uh, that's a valid bias or is it just a rumor? So there, um, you know, there are a lot of, um, I guess they would call, call greenwashing out there right now in terms of 
of uh, investors or providers that are, are really kind of just, um, like you said, checking a box, grabbing data and making decisions just off of kind of unanalyzed data, um, which is really dangerous in ESG right now because there's a lot of companies that don't report much data at all. Um, in the US, especially the companies that we talk to, um, a lot of companies don't really understand exactly what they're supposed to be reporting because there's not a lot of standardization, right? In terms of that similar to, you know, versus what you have in financial metrics. So, um, you know, and hence the, at this point, the data is, is something you want to look at, but it's really about the engagement and the follow-up and the discussion and the dialogue and asking about the policies in place in each company that gives you as an investor or even somebody just analyzing outside of the investment community um, on suppliers or somebody they want to do business with or have involved in their business it's really those discussions that lead to the analytical decisions that I think um, are, are leading to the correct decisions. Um, the data is, is really scratching the surface and a lot of it's because it's very imperfect data today. Um, it's un, un, sometimes unanalyzable. What we found with some smaller companies is there's a bias towards big companies on the ratings um, because the big companies have the enough money to hire full-time staff to gather the data and statistics and, and compile it in a form that, that the, um, the data collectors want to see um, and that investors want to see. And so you get, they get that boost in their rating because they're supplying all the data, whereas smaller companies on limited budgets don't have the manpower or the budget to have a full-time staff person doing that or have full-time measurements done in, inside of the, um, you know, with the GHG and things like that inside of the organizations. And so they get penalized for that. Um, and so to us, those are the opportunities that we want to look for is to identify the, those types of companies um, similar to financial in, you know, investments uh, where you identify the companies that are underfollowed, um, perhaps don't get the credit they should for what they're doing um, for one reason or another, and then encourage them, participate in them to improve over time, disclose more data. And as they do that, their ratings will go up and the markets will recognize that. And I think the, the investment community will, will recognize that and they get a you know, better return on that investment from the acceptance side and the number of investors broadens out. So yeah, there's definitely a bias towards bigger companies, um, similar to credit ratings and similar to you know, financial ratings by a lot of different organizations. It's just because it's easier to, to rate those, but that's not necessarily the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have already mentioned the hints towards historic trend that it has not been the same 30 years ago, um, yeah. 40 years ago. So could you briefly comment on the whole change? Uh, why is ESG important? How did it become uh, an important aspect? So, you know, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've been investing for over 30, about 30 years, I hate to say it, but um, you know, I'm getting up there. Um, in terms of the history, um, I've always had clients um, in our, we've had separate accounts that we've been managing for, for pretty much most of my career and that involved either, you know, faith-based organizations or health care organizations or, you know, uh, foundations, endowments with universities and such um, or causes that had restrictions on types of companies that perhaps they wanted to own. So if you go way back, you know, 20 plus years ago, it was really just about, um, you know, ESG didn't exist. It was really what they call, you know, more SRI investing, which is, you know, socially responsible investing. But back then that was defined as identify a list of companies you can invest in 
and that's about it. And then give it to the manager and they don't buy those, but they do whatever else in the rest of the portfolio they want to do, which, which in some ways could have actually be counteracting what you were doing in the negative screen. So you could be buying companies that were easily, easily as bad or worse, but they just didn't happen to make it onto the list. So in the early days, it, there was usually an agenda or an item that was trying to be met. So they came up with a screen, um, you know, whether it was apartheid in South Africa and, and that went on for, you know, unfortunately too, way too long. Um, and, and a lot of investors started screening that out and it actually led to, I think was one of the reasons that things started to change. Um, you know, hopefully um, that's kind of the old days as it over time, what's happened. And it's really just been a, a phenomenon in the investment world in the last less than a decade um, has been that you started to get where more data is being reported on some of these metrics I talked to you about earlier and ESG. Um, and really in the last five years, I would say you started to get more participation. Um, and even today it's still in the infancy, but what has become more in the last several years is more of a full picture in terms of understanding the company, you know, 360 degrees, as opposed to just having a list of what you can't buy. It's, it's trying to make an impact in the rest of the portfolio um, in the spirit of what those investors want to see, you know, the types of companies they want to see. So as, as investors have become more aware of, um, you know, some of the issues as they've been published um, in, in various you know, ways, um, Basically, um, as they become more aware, they say to managers, we want to see these included in the decisions. We're not going to give you a list, but the idea is that you take those factors into consideration when you're buying investments in our portfolio. Um, so that's really where the world is, has come. Um, and so there's still investors with very specific agenda items. For some investors in ESG, and this is important, really all they really care about um, is the environmental side. It's all about emissions, right? It's about the climate change. And that's totally understandable. Um, we view it, you know, all the, we think that you should take into consideration all the factors. We do, we run some investment portfolios that screen out all uh, fossil fuel companies. Um, so that still takes place today with these negative screens, other negative screens, perhaps from faith-based organizations screen out, you know, certain healthcare issues that they don't agree with, or, you know, there's always, you know, controversial weapons is something that's pretty standard across the board, but there's some that, you know, companies that kind of are investors that raise the bar there. So there's still that negative screen aspect, but the difference between now and when I got in the business is that it's, it's really more of a comprehensive analysis of some of these factors we talked about and incorporating that and having dialogue with companies about that. That's really where the evolution is. Um, in terms of, of, of this and actually making better financial decisions. And there's a lot of reasons I think, you know, by incorporating ESG, you can definitely make better financial decisions because at the end of the day, sustainability is, is um, a key metric in looking at a, a sustainable business model of a company that you would, you would really find attractive to invest in. And on that regards, um... You know, I come from a business background, from the business school, and what we have been taught at university was the whole purpose of the firm is to maximize shareholders' uh, value. Um, so would you say that the shareholders are also more interested in um, ESG uh, incorporation and sustainability strategy these days? Definitely. I think they go hand in hand. And that's one of the big misunderstandings that's is starting to go away in the market is that they're different is that shareholder uh, maximizing shareholder value and ESG are, are two entirely separate things. And some people even think, you know, they may even be counteractive or countering each other, you know, and that's, we totally disagree with that. We think um, 
that to build a sustainable business model, which at the end of the day, a sustainable business model is, is a good, is the, is the kind of investments you want to look at that are going to perform over time for your clients. If you're going to look at a company that has that, I mean, assessing the environmental social governance issues in detail um, as part of that analysis, um, we think is, is key to identifying those companies that have that sustainable business model. And that's just on a, just on a standard operating basis, you know, you know, examples being, you know, the social, you know, the workplace environment. If you have a safe work and a, and a healthy workplace environment that's got safety, good compensation, you know, treats the employees well with benefits, um, all these things that everybody wants to see in their jobs, you're going to end up with less turnover. You're going to end up with better employees than your competitors. Um, and you're going to have, therefore, probably a more, a more successful business. You know, environmental issues, same thing. You know, if you do things that are really bad, I have a number of examples with it's chemical companies or, or energy guys uh, with flaring. It's just a number of examples. If you're doing that and then it gets into the community and you're harming the community, you're going to eventually going to have pushback and it's going to lead to litigation. It's going to lead to people not buying any of your products, all these things um, that have a bad financial result, right? At the end of the day, maybe not in the short term. And there's are always examples of companies that do pretty heinous things and make a lot of money in the short run. Um, and if that's the way you want to invest, then I think that's too bad. Um, we don't believe in that. And I think most investors don't believe in, in that. And, and they want to buy good businesses they can own over a long time and see them grow. And we think you have to have a sustainable business model that includes these factors in it to, to be successful. So we think they go hand in hand um, at the end of the day in terms of financial success and um, success as, a, as an ESG um, provider. And, and going forward, I would just say, it's going to get even more um, clear that these work hand in hand because I think, you know, with, you know, not my, you know, my generation is getting a clue about it, but your generation is, is I think really the driver of the future. And, and there's a lot of push and a lot of desire to buy their, buy your products from companies that you agree with in terms of their, their standards that they have internally and, and how they, how they manage their employees, how they, uh, relate to the community, the environment. Um, I think so. I think invest. I mean, I think consumer demand is going to is just be another lever that's going to result in, you know, probably better profitability, better success for those companies that are doing things what we say is the right way. And who would you say are the companies or industries which are rated the highest um, on ESG ratings? Yeah, that's that's a great question because um, a lot of people think that it's a, you know these ones are easy to buy and these ones are easy to not buy. And I think that's the initial, the initial days of ESG investing several years ago was like, Oh, you don't buy any energy companies and buy all the tech companies. And that was pretty, it was kind of a no brainer, you know? And I think as we, as the market has evolved, um, we realize is that, you know, energy companies aren't going away, you know, tech companies are here to stay. Um, but the bottom line is, is that there's good and bad companies in all those industries. Now, obviously energy, with emissions and the environment is just is under the, you know, under the gun on a lot of things. Um, so, but the bottom line is it, we all use energy every day. It's not going away. Um, and, and so what we want to do is we want to make, you know, encourage those companies to find, you know, more environmentally, um, you know, safe ways and environmentally conscious ways of, of generating that energy. And I think what you've seen, especially in the last few years, even the last two or three years, is energy companies coming out with, with bigger commitments? So the answer is, is that I wouldn't try to say there's better industry, one industry is better than another. Um, 
you know, there are some industries that I would say don't really have a lot of redeemable features that are pretty easily to avoid, you know, things that uh, could, if they went away tomorrow, probably the world would be a better place. Um, you know, tobacco, um, you know, some other areas, just, you know, some of the controversial weaponry um, is just, you know, the world's a better place with it gone. Um, and, and there's some other areas, you know, some of the heavy, heavy emissions and super um, damaging, you know, energy kind of con extraction uh, techniques could be done away and mining techniques. Um, but that doesn't mean you get rid of those industries. You're trying to find the companies that are finding cleaner ways to do these things that provide the materials we use every day. Um, like, but like I said, you know, technology was always considered a no-brainer, not always, but in some people's minds it was. Um, and I think there, there's a lot of concerns and you're seeing those in today's, you know, today in terms of a lot of regulators looking at data security, data privacy, you know, all these issues that are, you know, perhaps even more damaging or as damaging as, as some of the other issues that people have put at the top of the scale. So I think as the world kind of evolves and we get more knowledgeable, um, I think it's gonna really be about identifying in all industries, the best players, and you're gonna be able to differentiate as opposed to this is a good industry, that's a bad industry. And would you say that any sustainability strategies or um, United Nations SDGs agenda within the company or being a B Corp, does that boost the ESG rating as well? Or does it have no impact at all? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, those are really hard. Um, you know, um, those, those metrics are sometimes very hard to measure, like quantitatively. Um, it's really more qualitative assessment. We look at it as, a, as really kind of to, in, you know, and put in our analysis to identify companies that are, are, are really visibly counter, working counter to those agenda items within SDGs, right? So, you know, are they, you know, suppressing, you know, workers' rights and, and um, you know, gender equality and, um, you know, and, and water, um, you know, clean water and, and the environment? Are they, is there things that, that we've noticed are um, identified that are counteract, counter to those agenda items? And if so, you know, we're going to want to push away from those companies. But I think there's a consistency. You'll see that also show up in the data uh, of uh, the scores they're getting um, and the policies they have in the companies to address those areas. Um, but really within SDGs, you're, all, you know, you're really looking at, you know, policies within the company that align with those and kind of doing that qualitative analysis. So they're very, they are very important. Um, some of them are very, you know, SDGs are very long-term and some of them don't apply, you know, to all businesses, um, you know, to any significant degree, but it's something that within, you know, it's kind of like the industries, you know, in your industries, knowing the SDGs and kind of where you want to look at those more so in one industry or one kind of company company versus another, maybe where it operates would, would um, lend itself more towards one SDG or another um, as a focus item. Um, they're definitely things to incorporate and, and make for a better, better ESG investment. And in terms of the ESG rating, uh, again, um, is this a static number or do you uh, usually um, review the score? Yeah, so that's really important. You know, our viewpoint is that there's the data analysis, there's the data assessment, um, there's the engagement with the company to question the data, to probe for data that isn't there as, as we kind of go through our analysis. And then that final step is the monitoring, just like just like with a company's financial metrics, the leverage, the cash flow, things like that, you want to monitor every quarter and see how they progress, right? So you want to go in and talk to them. You want to figure out 
and assess, you know, kind of where the strengths are, the weaknesses are within ESG metrics. Um, and then you want to um, have that conversation with them. And then you want to ask them, you know, what, what policies do you have in place or what is your plan to improve A, B, and C? And then you want to follow up with them, you know, maybe six months down the road, maybe a year down the road, you want to reanalyze that company and, and you want to see progress. Um, so it's not always buying the companies that do everything perfectly within scores today in terms of disclosing everything. And because that, that isn't really what I think this is about. This is about finding companies that and encouraging them through investments in their companies, whether it's the bonds or the stocks, um, to encourage them to continue to improve. So you want to see a policy in place. You want to see goals. No company does most of these things perfectly um, at all. And so they can all improve. So it's all about the trend. You want to buy companies that are improving in trend because that's where you get the biggest impact. Just like buying a company early in this early days of its um, operating um, met, you know, in terms of operations, you want to buy the ones early on that are small, but you could see that trajectory of improvement. Those are the best investments, right? So it's the same with ESG in, in many ways. Uh, unfortunately, the big guys who report all the data to get the high rating, some people view that as, as the way to make ESG investments only is just the top rated companies. And, and we're really more about identifying those that are going to improve the months. The most, some of them are going to be high rated. Some are going to be a little bit lower rated by the third-party services, but it's about that trend of improvement um, because that's that's where you really make the most impact and, and, and can do the best for your clients. Absolutely. Um, since my podcast is focused a lot about fashion, I cannot ask you this question. How do fashion companies perform in terms of ESG ratings? Well, um, I'm probably like the worst person in the world to ask about fashion, but um, you can ask anybody in my family. I'm, I'm a really good um, ESG fashion um, you know, client because I don't really buy anything new. I keep, I, I wait for fashion to come back, you know, stuff that I bought many <laughs> years ago. Um, but yeah, fashion is, um, is something that um, in the whole apparel industry and textile industry is, is something that we do invest in. It's, it's one of the um, investable um, industries that we go into. Um, and the bottom line is there, it has become a little bit more in the, in the limelight of late, obviously, um, you know, we've had some human rights, you know, a lot of more disclosures of human rights issues that are taking violations taking place in manufacturing facilities or where, where the where the materials are being sourced and how they're being sourced. So it's definitely something that, you know, uh, we invest in. Um, it's something that, um, you know, we think you can see companies that differentiate themselves. Um, we don't have a lot of those companies in, in our market, in the credit markets. Uh, it's a little bit more equity finance than debt. Um, so I don't have a great read on all the different players out there as, as well as you would. Um, but it's something that, that we do look at um, when we're assessing those companies. Uh, we're looking at the sourcing. This is, you know, that's an, that's an industry where you're looking more at the labor side, the sourcing of materials, but you're also looking at the environmental issues, obviously with the water treatment and, you know, you know for dyeing and materials and is the chemicals being used and, and, and how that's all taking place. So those are things that we're looking at in that industry. Um, you know, and there are, are companies that I think differentiate themselves. All right. Um, thanks for your answer. I think mm -hmm. uh, that's that's very interesting to think about. Um, we all know that the fashion uh, industry is uh, the most one of the most polluting industries in, in the world. And it also doesn't have the biggest profit margins either. Yet we have really huge players which claim to have a sustainability agenda and, and driving the change. 
Um, but we will see how well will that uh, uh, come into the reality. Uh, but in mm -hmm. terms of just uh, driving the whole uh, change and the transformation towards more sustainable future, now there is such awareness around that. And every company, as you mentioned as well, they try to implement certain initiatives. Uh, what do you think is needed to ensure that the future generations have enough resources to sustain themselves and further develop? Well, I mean, I think you, you know, you need to become more circular in kind of the usage. Um, each industry needs to become more circular and, and, uh, and not create so much waste. Um, that's obviously in terms of the future and having the, the natural resources that we need. Um, we got to stop throwing this, you know, think many things away. Um, and, and um, you know, fashion, you know, obviously, you know, the cheap clothes that you get that, um, are meant to have a lifespan of six six months and then they kind of either fall apart or or go out of fashion i don't know so i mean we want to we want to basically become more sustainable in what we're buying uh, whether it's fashion or it's you know the products we're buying the containers that we're packing in the packaging of the material you know the food we're buying or the consumer other consumer products so i mean that's circular creating more circularity in in each of the industries in terms of using the raw materials that that cycle through um, and not and not landing up ending up in a dump somewhere um, or landfill. I think that's obviously extremely important. And I, I do think there is more of a push there. Um, also, in sourcing the materials, you know, the more sustainable materials, you know, moving away from, you know, maybe you know fossil fuel, um, you know, sourced uh, materials, um, and less plastics maybe, and more, you know, biodegradable uh, materials that we're sourcing, whether it's you know utensils or packaging or or things like that. Um, these are all super important things, you know, in terms of conserving what we have, um, in terms of the resources that we have. And then, you know, we can go on and on and on of, of examples, but, you know, taking better, you know, care of, um, of how we're sourcing things that we eat um, and where it's coming from, um, you know, with the waste involved in that, you know, the, um, the chemicals used in that process or the you know, whether it's net, you know, and then just the, you know, somewhat abusive nature sometimes of gathering um, things to eat um, in terms of everything else around it. Um, we, have, we have to really address that in terms of how we're sourcing, you know, our food also. Um, so these are all super important things and the list goes on and on and on. And would you say that people are getting more aware of those issues and they uh, start to demand the change as well? Yeah, for sure. Yes, uh, people are, are demanding. You're seeing that show up in, in some consumer products. You know, there's a little bit of, uh, we have a saying here in the US called smoke and mirrors. So there's a little bit of uh, putting a label on something that says sustainable. And basically the guys that sold the product paid them off to get the label on there uh, to make it look like it was sustainable. But the reality is, is there's not the verification in there that really shows that the methodology is used to source you know, whether it's food or something else is sustainable. Um, so we just need a, we need better checks and balances, more regulation, I think, in some of those areas, for sure. Um, you know, more transparency. And we just need people to continue to flush out, you know, where where the inaccuracies are in terms of how things are, are, are being sourced. So, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a greater awareness. Um, along with that awareness has become, is more information. And that's, I think that's the first step. Right, is better information so that people can make uh, better decisions.
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, talking about the recent changes in the whole world, how do you think the uh, corona pandemic has changed people's uh, attitude towards sustainable investments? I think what it really has done, and we've actually, something we focused on and have increased the focus on in the last year has been just the treatment of the workforce, you know. So I think the coronavirus has, um, has been a disaster for, you know, so many people and, and so damaging to so many lives and careers and everything else. So in the bottom line is when you're working, um, how companies have adapted to take into consideration difficulties with their employees, um, you know, you know, for the manufacturing type of, of industries, how safe have they made those environments? Because they've had to continue to produce through this entire uh, pandemic. So how have they treated their employees in, in, in that environment? Some have done a great job and some haven't, you know, so um, that's something that the pandemic is, I think, maybe brought more to light. Um, I'd say, you know, maybe this, like I said, the social versus, I mean, the environmental side is kind of continued. It kind of had a lot of momentum before, but I'd say it, you know, more of the work environment has really gotten pushed a little bit more up in terms of people's visibility and the stories as the stories have come out on how companies have treated their employees in this environment, you know, whether it's the frontline workers at in the hospitals, the, you know, the grocery store retail, or or the behind the scenes and in, in the production of, you know, of uh, food sources um, and 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 the treatment of those workers, um, all these things, um, or how you you know how they've dealt with the the work uh, remote workforce, um, you know, have they been demanding people to to do things they aren't comfortable with before they're comfortable with it, or have they been more much more flexible and understanding. Um, I think that to me is probably the biggest thing um, in the pandemic that is, um, has really come out and um, versus pre-pandemic in terms of maybe one of the areas of focus. I can uh, only agree to you. And I think uh, uh, in the fashion industry, there was a huge pay up movement where uh, there were a lot of clo uh, stores closed and there were a lot of uh, suppliers um, who were not paid for their orders. Um, so there was a much more information disclosed around the issues in, in that regards. Um, right. And I think this is, this is very important. And I think we touched upon the labor factor, the social part um, through our talk today a lot. Um, and I think one misconception that people might have had prior to our conversation that social part would be um, of the ESG would be kind of constituting towards philanthropic business. And that is not really true, right? And because we focus more on the labor condition and the well-being of the employees. Well, I mean, uh, corporate philanthropy is, is, is part of that. It's one factor, right? Um, you can be very philanthropic um, and yet treat your <laughs> employees very poorly, right? So there's so there's, it's all, like I said, it's, it's really about that 360. It's like all assessing all these items, but I'd say definitely, like I said, the, the more important movement in the last year in terms of information flow and really fleshing out the good and the bad actors has been on the labor side and the treatment of the labor for sure. You know, and how they've worked with the community and how they chipped in, you know, have they come in and, and been, you know, a little, little more philanthropic, but also in terms of providing services and, and um, other resources for their local communities that's, you know, it's definitely important for sure. Um, so that's not to say we exclude that and that's not important. It's just, you know, I, I think the, you know, that's something that a lot of companies hadn't set in place already 
um, some improved yet, um, but really it was the, it's like the, it's, it was more fleshing out the, the labor side and the treatment of that. That is really from brought to light. And then with the um, increased amount of information and transparency, people started to become more aware of how they want to invest their money, right? Uh, hasn't there been a change in uh, individuals requesting their uh, portfolio managers to choose more sustainable um, investments for them? Yeah. Yeah, like, like everything else, some people have slapped labels on products that they know people want to see, and then they bought them. Um, and that's been part of what's been going on. But other, I mean, there are some really great products out there that different managers are running and investors are looking for those. So um, it's our job as investment management um, organization to, to get the word out on how we do it and, and how that might be different. Um, but we have seen a lot more demand um, for, for these ESG um, integrated products um, and the assessments that go along with that. Uh, with investors that want to see those considerations taken into place. It, and like I said, it doesn't mean it's a, it has to be a hard screen against industries or companies. Sometimes that does happen, but a lot of investors say, you know, use your discretion, but take these things into consideration, please, with what you're doing in our portfolio. And in the process of several years of really doing our homework on this area and, and working more and more and learning and learning and learning, we've really come to see how it really dovetails extremely well with the types of companies that we prefer to invest in and that we think make the best investments and long-term investments. So for those clients that are looking for a manager or other managers or do the same thing, um, this assessment, um, I think that has definitely increased um, in terms of that, the demand for products. But like I said, there's also some clients that it, they, you've seen a lot more interest in you know, fossil fuel-free strategies where they're just like, I just, I want to exclude all of that out of my portfolio. I believe that we shouldn't be investing in those companies. And, and we understand that perspective also. Um, but the visibility is definitely higher um, as the younger generations get more involved in the markets. Um, as some of the very successful ultra wealthy um, start thinking more about um, the future of the world as opposed to the wealth accumulation. Um, and, and where that's going. Um, as organizations get pressure, whether it's a university getting pressure from its students on what they're doing with the foundation and endowment, or it's a constituency's voters in a constituency going to the local government and talking about what's in their pension fund. Um, these have all increased um, in the last decade. And, and I think even the last five years, we've seen a, a big, the biggest push in that direction. And would you say that the biggest push uh, you get are from the younger generation, the millennials? Um, well, I don't know if it's that's, I'd say maybe at the genesis of how this is moving, that's true. Um, you know, when you're working in the financial markets with, we work with mostly bigger clients and wealthier clients and institutions. Um, you know, it's hard to see through to the younger generation because their, their wealth is not quite there yet. Um, but it's definitely coming, they're definitely very loud. You know, that visibility and, and being very vocal is influencing, you know, the older guys like us um, to really take note that this, and then think about it, you know, and listen, listen to, you know, these young adults that have a lot of great thoughts um, and, and really respect that and, and take it into consideration. And in doing so, you know, it's really changing the attitude, I think, of um, an increasing amount of people 
that do have the financial wherewithal to have a bigger impact, right? So unfortunately in, in our world of investments, you know, the size of the wealth has a bigger, you know, the bigger, more wealth you have, the bigger influence you have, or the bigger your pension fund, the more influence you have, right? But if, if, the, if what's driving that thought process of the people with that money or the pension funds or the foundations and endowments is coming from a very vocal message being sent from millennials, I, I do think that is true. Um, and that is having a definite influence. Oh, you know, kind of punching above your weight is kind of another cliche. I see. Um, just to step out a little bit of the ESG discussion, what would be your general advice to the younger uh, generation uh, in terms of uh, investing their money wisely? Yeah, so you step aside and kind of investments 101. Um, you know, there's a lot of very uh, topical types of investments out there right now where you're seeing huge percentage returns. Um, for me, you know, as a long-term investor, um, I think it's just really with the young, it's really about, you got to be diversified. You're young, so you can take risk, uh, but you got to think about, you know, can, you know, invest as much or in an area with a lot of volatility as, as you can lose. Uh, because just for anything that goes up 600%, you know, it can go down to almost nothing. So, you know, there's no free, you know, we call it, there's no free lunch out there, right? So if it can go up a lot, it can go down a lot. It's really a risky bet. Uh, it just so happens that in, you know, the financial environment right now is rewarding investors to take a lot of risk and the government's kind of sponsoring some of it, um, unfortunately. But, you know, the bottom line is I would, I would recommend diversity, you know, take a more holistic approach and don't underestimate your common sense. Um, if it doesn't make sense, it, it probably, it probably doesn't make sense. You know, if, if logically you just say this, I don't get why this is happening, then it's probably, it probably shouldn't be. And um, it's something that you shouldn't get all, you know, should get too involved in. So common sense, diversification, you know, holistic approach, find things that you really find interest in, things that you really like, you know, invest along those, those, those um, ways, I think is also, um, and then don't, you know, and then, and I think ESG inclusion, think about sustainability, because that's the future. A lot of things, the biggest trends in the markets right now are, are towards these more sustainable agenda items. So definitely incorporate that into what you're thinking. You don't want to just only do that, you know, in the, in the most extreme versions. Um, you want to try to find some companies that are, are, are earlier stages and incorporate that in. But, you know, diversification and common sense, I think, are the, are the two, you know, pretty basic um, ways of investing. Thank you so much for your advice. And uh, just before we wrap up uh, our talk, I would really like to do one last thing with you, which is five short sentences that you have to finish. So I would take them one by one and you would just uh, finish it on the go. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, sounds great. All right, awesome. So first okay. one, to me, sustainability is? Balance. The need, you gotta balance the needs of society uh, with, the, with the health of the environment, the workplace, etc. That's a great one. Um, second, one thing I would like to see more of in the world is? Communication, um, interaction, because all that leads to understanding. Um, it leads to respect and the world's a better place. Does that also lead to more data out there that we so need? It also leads to that. <laughs> All information is good information, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Um, for a complete beginner in the sustainability area, I would suggest to start off with? Common sense. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Um, and the first one, um, every sustainable business? Uh, should start somewhere today in terms of um, improving your sustainability and the incorporation of ESG metrics. Don't be afraid to start. Um, and probably reach out for advice and reach out for advice. And the reason I say what I, and I'm going to give you more than one sentence, but the reason that we, I say that is because we talk to a lot of companies um, and there's a lot of confusion out there on what ESG is, what, what do investors want to see? What do our constituents want to see? What do the consumers want to see from us? You know, what can we, and it's, and then they freeze and they don't do anything because they want to, they think it has to be perfect, you know, and they think it has to be full disclosure. And I think that's why I say, just start somewhere, um, start communicating today. Um, and, and whatever you have is fine. Get it out there. Um, try to put it in a matrix metric that people can at least be aware of, and then talk about how you're going to improve that. So start today and then put out a plan to um, grow going forward in terms of uh, building a sustainable business, but don't, be afraid to start. All right. And then the last statement in two to three years, I see financial investment industry. Um, I do think that I do see the financial industry becoming much more aware and informed on ESG and how it can actually help you make better investments in your portfolio and why. So, yeah, I think that's what I see. Awesome. Douglas, thank you so, so much for your time and sharing all your knowledge and expertise with us. Uh, I had a really great time and I think I come out from this conversation much wiser than before. I do appreciate your time and, and I think these were all great questions and, and hopefully people find the information useful. I hope you found our conversation with Douglas interesting and insightful for you. I would like to believe that you also learned more about ESG ratings and sustainable investments from this episode. If you did, go ahead and share what you learned through your social media, tag at myconscious underscore living on Instagram and use a hashtag refashionpodcast, which is one word. Help us spread the word about circular and sustainable choices. By the way, feel free to follow and subscribe, rate and review my podcast. Your feedback is invaluable to me and it only helps this podcast grow. You can also always send me a DM message on Instagram at myconscious__living with suggestions for the next guests. I am extremely grateful for everyone who is listening and spreading a word about my podcast. Only with your help can we make it the number one podcast in circular and sustainable fashion field. For now, however, I have to say that this was the last episode of Refashion Podcast Season 1. Please follow me on Instagram at myconscious__living or Refashion Podcast LinkedIn page to hear the news about the new season first. Thank you for following and subscribing to my podcast. I'm already looking forward to a new, refreshed and even more exciting season too. Thank you very much for now. Take care.